All right, welcome in everybody to this final episode in the Warlord Era series. And like I mentioned in the previous episode, this will be a mega episode covering all of the minor Warlord factions. And yes, there is a little bit of quib about including the Maw Command uh, or this, that, or the other smaller sect uh, here or there, like the Cult of Ragnos and whatnot. But there's minor and there's minuscule. So we're, we're splitting hairs here. So I landed on the final three that have not yet been discussed that were at least large enough to make a meaningful impact on the overall Warlord era. So here we go. The first faction that we'll cover is the Empire of the Hand. So out beyond the edge of settled space, uh, in the midst of the unknown regions, were a cluster of sectors known as the Empire of the Hand. It's very small. And in 10 ABY, uh, and for those of you who are non-Star uh, Wars literate, uh, ABY is after Battle of Yavin, and BBY is before Battle of Yavin. So in 10 ABY, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn would build the Empire of the Hand uh, out in the Unknown Regions, and he established the Empire's capital on the world of Narawan, with its capital being this massive building. It's, it's this huge hub of information called the Hand of Thrawn that acted as a linchpin for the Empire uh, out in the Unknown Regions. Now, it's very fitting that as this extra-galactic government was uh, began by the late Grand Admiral Thrawn, he had significant backing from Palpatine and the Empire, uh, in the hopes that Thrawn would create this massive resource-rich presence in secret that Palpatine might use to either rebuff the Yuzhang Vong or as a sort of fallback plan should the worst happen to his own forces and territories. Now, Thrawn also believed that allying himself with the Empire was the best way to assist in protecting his people against the Vong and their inevitable invasion, utilizing the Empire's endless amount of resources and pools of personnel. And Thrawn did achieve a great measure of success in mapping out the vast sections of previously unexplored space and making alliances with the natives uh, and the locals in those newly chartered sectors, establishing the network of information and security that would be the backbone of the Empire of the Hand. Now, whenever Thrawn returned to his people, the Chiss, uh, they had been battling the threats of the Unknown Regions for decades. And a majority of his people saw Thrawn's vision of military expansionism as a way to protect the Chiss Ascendancy. And it was 
it was sort of this beacon of hope for them. Uh, the the Chiss Ascendancy sort of had a Star Trek non-intervention policy uh, where it, it was part of their military doctrine that they did not act aggressively and they only fought on a defensive stance. They never made the first move. Thrawn had enough forethought to see that this would eventually be their downfall. So he took a lot of steps uh, to be very preventative of, uh, you know, his, his people's extinction, basically, because the, the Chiss were centered uh, in sort of the flight path of where the Yuzhang Vong would enter into the galaxy. So Thrawn decided, okay, I need to build up this huge array of military might in order to protect my people from this massive invasion. And he does. And the Chiss, a lot of uh, their aristocracy, would support Thrawn in this. So he would receive vast amounts uh, of support from all of these ruling families uh, in the form of ships, and warriors, and resources. And Thrawn would weave them kind of seamlessly into uh, his own imperial task forces. And this would establish the foundational might of his new empire. Now, this faction would become powerful enough to reveal its existence to the galaxy at large after the Battle of Endor and the death of Palpatine by striking out against the aggressive Cyruvi Imperium, killing their warlord Nuso Esfa. And it would be shortly after this emergence that Grand Admiral Thrawn himself would feel it necessary to return to the Greater Empire and help steer events, unify where possible, and ultimately set out on crushing the dangerous rebellion that had just murdered his partner in Emperor Palpatine. And before his departure, Thrawn would hand over control of the Empire to his top military leaders. A select number of Chiss military officers who remained loyal to Thrawn, uh, as well as his Imperial officers, Admiral Voss Park, Dagon Nariz, and Baron Sunter Fell, ace pilot and father of Jagged Fell. Now these were Thrawn's most staunch Imperial supporters. So he, he had a good number of both human and Chiss working together, uh, which is no small feat because the Imperial military was uh, very xenophobic. They they didn't allow non-humans into the military. Uh, they had no qualms about using alien mercenaries or bounty hunters, but uh, as, as far as military personnel, it was very uh, xenophobic as a, as a practice, right? So Thrawn being an alien himself uh, was a testament to how well he could get people to work together. His, his coordination on that alone is starkly brilliant. And 
he he did this an empire across right um, not only getting the mostly human-centric imperial forces to work with his people but to work with a whole bunch of alien natives out in the middle of nowhere in uncharted space so Thrawn leaves control of the empire to this sort of military council right now unfortunately for them however uh, and despite all of Thrawn's brilliance and his really well orchestrated campaign against the New Republic the Grand Admiral would meet his end at the hands of his own bodyguard Rook and then this would be after the Nogri assassin had learned of the Empire's abhorrent treatment of his people and Thrawn's complicitness in it and although they did not believe Thrawn to be dead, uh, Admiral Voss and Baron Fell would lead the Empire of the Hand with their deceased leader's ideals and visions in mind. You know, it would be far later during the Kamas Crisis that the Empire of the Hand would be stumbled upon by Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade while the two were out searching for a mysterious and unidentifiable military force comprised of clones and oddly made starfighters. Now upon meeting them, the leaders of the Hand recognized the possible advantages of having Jedi as allies within the New Republic. So they offered Luke and Mara a place of position within the Empire. And of course, the Jedi would refuse, returning to their own government, but they would commit to keeping the Hand's existence a secret. Although, later on, after fending off a Vagari invasion in Chiss space, there were a number of Jedi who were survivors of the Old Republic's outbound flight mission into the Unknown Regions who did decide to join the Empire of the Hand rather than the New Republic. Now, the Empire of the Hand would continue on until shortly after the Yuzhang Vong War, and they would disband sometime either during or after the swarm war with the Killicks, um, and their leaders, such as the Fells, would join the Imperial Remnant or return to the Chiss Ascendancy. Now those Imperial leaders, this is very important, uh, they would bring with them the values and the technologies that the Hand had and integrate them in the running of the Imperial Remnant, leading to what would eventually become the Fell Empire and make it an absolute powerhouse in the legacy era where values like equality, integrity, and advancement through merit and strength were prominent cornerstone fundamentals of the Empire. So yeah, the Empire of the Hand, a very important faction in its own right doesn't have an enormous impact on the events of the Warlord era. It's it's more of a proving ground for these Imperial leaders that would be uh, very instrumental in the Vong War, the, the Second Galactic Civil War later on. But yeah, it, it really just 
serve to give us jagged fell so so he could marry Jaina Solo later and uh, become emperor of the Imperial Remnant later on. But it's it's a really cool faction. There's a lot of mystery about it. I really like the Empire of the Hand, especially in the uh, Empire of War mod. So yeah, that was the Empire of the Hand. Pretty cool little faction there. Now, the next faction that we'll get into is the Ariadu Authority. Now, this was another minor faction in our beloved Warlord era. Uh, the Ariadu Authority was based on the homeworld of the late Grand Moff Wilhuff Tarkin Ariadu in the Sueswena sector. Now, like the rest of its compatriot factions, the Authority would break from the Empire after the Battle of Endor in 4ABY. And speaking of Grand Moff Skeletor, uh, the Authority would be led by his cousin by marriage, Sander Delvardus, who proclaims himself as this independent warlord around the same time as all of the others. Delvardus had previously served under Grand Moff Ardis Kane, uh, but he would grow a little bit too big for his britches, and would go so far as to invent the title of Superior General for himself. Now, worlds and sectors were getting claimed left and right, but for the Ariadu Authority, their territory would be claimed along the Rima Trade Route as well as the Compe system in the Deep Core and a small cluster of sectors in the Outer and Mid-Rim territories. So even though this faction was indeed a minor one, it was still pretty flush with resources and had the military hardware and personnel to hold their own if needed. Now after the death of the reborn Emperor Palpatine, Delvardis would claim the Super Star Destroyer Night Hammer as his flagship. This was an Executor-class Star Destroyer, so nothing to sneeze at. And this would also make the Ariadu Authority a noticeable, yet still very small, pain in the ass for the rest of the galaxy. Now, Sander Delvardis would be one of the leaders caught in Dalla's net at the Toss Beacon reunification summit where he was gassed and killed with all of the other warlords who refused to join her. Now after which, leadership would pass on to Colonel Ivan Cronus. Now this was a very shrewd and practical man who understood the needs of unification that Pelion and Dalla espoused. So he would pledge the Ariadu Authority and its forces to Dalla's reunification effort and alliance. And of course, ultimately, the Authority was absorbed and assimilated into the Imperial Remnant, just like the rest of them. Not a very big faction. Um, very, very small kind of lux out that it was able to survive as long as it did. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was only the case because 
it didn't really pick a fight with anybody. Uh, it never tried to take down the New Republic. It never really bucked at any of the other major players uh, like Zinj or the Maldrood. It was just kind of there. I think its most defining feature was that its capital was the homeworld of Grand Moff Tarkin. That's really it. It's, it's its biggest claim to fame. And it does kind of milk it a little bit. Okay, our final faction is the Zero Command. So, as far as minor warlord factions goes, this is probably the smallest. And certainly a lot less intimidating or much less of a factor than the Ariadu Authority. Though it it does have some pretty key contributions to the Empire overall. So immediately after Endor, uh, the Imperial fleet regroups in this distant sector where all of the captains and admirals that are left, they convene and debate on what to do after their defeat. So Pelion advocates for immediate retaliation, but there are leaders like Blitzer Harsk, who argues for isolation and rebuilding their forces and deciding on the overall chain of command. Now this gets echoed pretty quickly with subtle variances, uh, especially focused on who would ultimately lead not just the Empire, but the military. So they could have this quick response to the rebellion. So everything fractures. There's this rapid-fire power grab by all of those in charge, including Harsk. And he goes off into the Deep Core and establishes the Zero Command. He also gives himself a... Uh, a different title, just like Sander Delvardis did. Uh, he gives himself the title of Lord High Admiral. Now, the Zero Command is centered in the Southern Core and the Deep Core. Uh, it's very secluded, and it's it's this really small portion of the galaxy. It's very isolationist. Uh, in fact, it would not be until 12 ABY that the command would push into other parts of the galaxy and try to recruit other Imperials to join their faction, which brought them in conflict with the greater Maldrood. Now the Maldrood is significantly bigger, so Truton Teradoc and his brother would fight against Harsk, and that fighting would go on until Dala steps in and kind of put a stop to it. Uh, but just like the Maldrood and the Ariadu Authority, Harsk would meet his end at that reunification summit, and its territories and forces would join the Imperial Remnant a little bit later on than this. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen immediately like the Maldrood. 
Now, if anything interesting came out of the Zero Command's tenure, it was the two secret Super Star Destroyers, the Dominion and the Megador, that Harsk was having built at the Deep Three shipyards. Now, Peleon would discover these mass-produced droid TIE fighters and other caches of modified ships and weapons that the Zero Command had built up in their isolation. It was a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. And that does it overall for our Warlord era. Uh, I love Star Wars. I love talking about uh, these minor factions. Uh, I love talking about the old expanded universe. It is just so massive. It's almost Warhammer 40k size in just how much lore and how many characters and the history of it, the comic books, the novels, the games. It's pretty massive. So the, the fact that we can condense one era into just a handful of episodes actually pretty impressive but yeah I I think that the Warlord era served a couple of purposes in forwarding the old expanded universe I, I think it was meant to give us characters like Thrawn and uh, Captain Pelion it was, it was meant to give us the marriage of Luke Skywalker to Mara Jade. Uh, we get to see the Solo children being born, Anakin and Jason and Jaina. We, we get to see the galaxy become divided on all fronts. There's, there's a whole bunch of internal political conflicts. There are mass uses of bio and chemical warfare there's all this cloaking dagger stuff and one of the things that's actually really fun about it is there are several series within this era uh, chief among them the x-wing series that don't focus around the the jedi of the the era it doesn't focus around luke skywalker doesn't focus around princess leia on Solo, Chewie, it focuses around Rogue Squadron. It gives us these new characters. Now, it does give us some familiar characters like Wedge Antilles and Admiral Akbar, but overall, we're dealing with a lot of newer characters like Tycho Selchu, Horn Horn, and it's, it's a great series. Um, we get Rogue Squadron, we get Wraith Squadron later on in the series. And if you if you want to talk about making new characters, that series really shows you how it's done. It's it's probably one of the best old EU novelization series. And there's a lot of them. There's I, I think a good dozen dozen and a half series overall there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 novelizations and i have them all 
so I, I can speak from a point of experience here but the the warlord era is probably my absolute favorite because it's at the height of the galactic civil war uh, it's where things really start to peak we we actually do get a war instead of where we had for the original trilogy and andor and rogue one we we have all of this cloak and dagger and guerrilla warfare going on but in the warlord era where the empire's broken up into all of these factions the rebellion and later new republic have an actual fighting chance they, they don't have to rely on luck or a Jedi or the Force or anything like that. It's an actual even playing field. And the New Republic rapidly gains support. They, they get the upper hand quite a lot. But we also see something that I think is really cool. We, we get this sort of ironed out faction of the empire we in the imperial remnant and everyone that's supposed to end up there does end up there we get pelion we get baron fell jagged fell uh, we get all of these moths and admirals and captains and leaders that are left over from the hand the maltrude the ariadu authority zero command we kind of get this cream of the crop of Imperials that are, are really good officers and really good leaders, not just militarily, but overall great Imperial strategists and uh, reunificationists. They kind of get off trying to destroy the New Republic there are still some in the empire at this point that do want to destroy the new republic this this is kind of what helps along the second galactic civil war uh, with jason solo turning to darth Cadus and the whole corellia crisis the galactic alliance the uh, the empire breaks away from the galactic alliance and it's a whole stinking mess. It's all done because Jason Solo turns into Darth Vader 2.0. He uh, actually is the inspiration for what Kylo Ren was supposed to be, but was a very, very pale imitation of instead. But before that, in, in the Warlord era, that's where we get all the fun stuff. We get a ton of comics that are just a great read. Uh, they far outshine anything that has been done elsewhere. Uh, the the Dark Horse era comics were the pinnacle of Star Wars comics, in my opinion. So, yeah, that was the Warlord era, guys. Thank you so much for listening in and stick around with me there'll be more sci-fi unchained coming up so don't go nowhere but for now 
Live long and prosper, my friends. And may the force be with us all.